Hi, I'm Arnie Skelton, and each week in this podcast series, I'm going to offer you my top 10 tips on particular topics or themes that might be of interest to you as a teacher or manager or both. Hi, and welcome to this week's podcast, which is all about managing high performance. And this is a a follow-on, really, from last week's podcast, which was about managing the poor performer. So today's podcast is the opposite end of the spectrum of performance. What do we do with people who are consistently high performers? So on with the tips. Tip number one, and this is perhaps a difficulty. Some high performers are not helpful to the organization's success. Surely that can't be right. Well, it is, because sometimes a high performer exceeds the requirement. They work to a level and deliver a product quality that is higher than that budgeted for and expected by the customer. And this has negative consequences in two ways. They are exceeding the budget in order to produce the quality that they're capable of. They are setting a different expectation for the customer, a higher expectation than that which the customer paid for. And so since the customer is likely to be delighted by this additional quality, the customer will expect that in the future, even though there is no budget for that level of quality. And thirdly, by working longer and perhaps more expensively to produce the quality that they can deliver, They are foregoing working on other areas because they're now running out of time or budget to work in those areas. So there are three negative consequences for the organization of high performers exceeding the remit. One, they spend more than the budget is allowing. Two, they set a higher bar of expectations for the customer subsequently. And three, they take an opportunity cost to deliver high quality at the expense of getting on with other tasks that they're meant to be doing. A good example of that might be in the teaching profession, where a high-performing teacher who is dedicated to teaching will produce very, very high-quality teaching, but perhaps not, therefore, have the time to get on with the administrative bureaucratic requirements that they're not particularly interested in doing. That would be the opportunity cost of achieving highly excellent teaching. So tip number two, and this follows from tip number one, which is about perfectionists. A perfectionist is particularly prone producing higher than required performance. So in this area, it's about identifying who your perfectionists might be and asking them to reset their definition of perfection from not the best job possible but the best job possible with the resources available. So excellence in this sense is about good enough with the budget available. It's no good a perfectionist producing a Rolls Royce from a mini budget. So tip number two, manage perfectionists effectively. And tip number three is to Be aware that highly qualified and competent individuals, the high performers, will have a lower morale 
when they are asked to perform at levels below their ability. So tip number three is to deal effectively, work effectively with people who are highly skilled and not allowed to deliver that skill due to budget or time limitations. For example, I've been working with in a, within a museum where there are some skilled carpenters and their morale was poor and I was asked to go in and have a chat with them. And it quite simply was this, that they were highly skilled carpenters and traditionally had built display cases from hardwood using mortise and tenon, tenon joints and glass. Now they were being asked to build display cases from melamine wood, from perspex and just using glue to put the whole thing together. And as far as these carpenters were concerned, this was not what they were all about. They felt de-skilled and were demoralized. So tip number three is pay particular regard to highly qualified and highly skilled staff who are being asked to perform, to deliver at levels lower than that which they are capable of. Tip number four, and this is about just what do we do to reward the high performers, particularly if we don't have a budget to give them any additional uh, financial recognition. So. Tip number four really is ask them. If somebody is a high performer, a persistently high performer, and you want to reward them in some way, ask what they would like. You might be surprised that they're not going to say some things that you conventionally might think they would say, like more money or time in lieu. Time in lieu is, is not very attractive really these days because if you give somebody time off but do nothing to adjust their workload, all that means simply is when they come back, the desk has just got bigger demand upon it, that they still have the workload to do, but less time to do it. So time in lieu is not particularly attractive to many workers. So ask them what they would like. Some answers that I've been given that have been the result of asking would be to go to a particular conference or to be paid to attend a seminar, um, perhaps in Europe. Uh, something that they would really value professionally, um, to be given some time to write an article or do some additional research. The key point here is, don't mind read. Don't anticipate what people will want. Just ask them. So tip number four, ask people what they would like. Tip number five, don't see promotion as a reward. This is a real problem. It's what I would call a double whammy a negative double whammy. If you use promotion as a reward, it has potentially two negative consequences. The first one is that it takes the person who's good away from the area in which they are good. So if you have a very competent social worker who's an excellent social worker and you reward them by promoting them to being team leader, they're no longer contributing at the level at which they're most effective being a social worker. And the second problem, they may not be particularly good at being a team leader. You've simply promoted them into that post because you feel that they'll appreciate it and it's a way of giving them more status and, and more pay. But actually, it may take them away from something they love into something they don't particularly value or feel comfortable or confident in. So the double whammy is, 
you damage the organization in two ways. One, you remove competence from where it's already demonstrably good and create a post and a person in it that isn't particularly effective. So promotion should be used to apply recognition of talent. So if somebody is potentially good as a manager and wants to be a manager and if you run an assessment centre to see if they're any good at that role then that will be a good basis for promoting that person. But don't use promotion as a reward. That's tip number five. Don't use promotion as part of your reward system. And tip number six is really for any teachers listening. It's quite common these days to be asked to invest in stretch and challenge. And I can see the logic in that, that you want to encourage any student to deliver their best. But be careful. If you were to impose stretch and challenge by pushing a particular student who doesn't actually want to be stretched and challenged, for them they're quite happy to turn up do the minimum, get back home, get on with the rest of their life. If you push them hard into stretch and challenge, when does this become harassment or bullying? I have a little problem with that. I think that a contract that says, as part of your being here, we are going to stretch and challenge, we're going to push, is that okay, that's part of the deal, then that's fine. It's It's appreciated and required and valued by both the teacher and the student. But if there's a student who is comfortable with doing, say, the minimum to get through, perhaps they're a carer, they want to get home, they want to look after their, their siblings, then they may feel that the pressure to be stretched and challenged is unacceptable, quite simply. So I'm just a little concerned. And if I take it away from teaching and into your, your job, if your manager were to initiate a regime of stretch and challenge for you, but you are actually quite comfortable doing your job at the level that it all is already required, uh, how would you feel about being pushed into stretch and challenge? Clearly some people, some people listening, will think, no, that's great, that's what I want. Others might think, well, I'm fine as I am, thank you. Back off. So I'm just putting up a kind of health warning that stretch and challenge could be counterproductive and not seen as something valued by the individual. Tip number seven. Pay, generally, is always well received as a recognition and reward by the recipient. By the recipient. But could it have a divisive impact on the rest of their colleagues and their team? If you are selecting an individual for some obvious recognition and reward, then are you going to be public about it? And if you are, is the recognition and reward you're offering going to be seen as fair? So if you're rewarding one person for something they have done, will their colleagues think, well, what about me? What about us? It wasn't just down to him or her. We helped in that too. So one of the dangers of selective recognition is that it might actually have an adverse effect on the rest of the team. So take that into account. Any individualised recognition could be counterproductive for the impact on work colleagues and the team. 
tip number eight kind of follows on from tip number seven. Beware favoritism by favoring good workers with particular tasks. If you have a good worker, a reliable worker, and somebody who delivers high quality work all of the time, then there's a kind of natural emotional temptation to trust that worker and give them the more complex or demanding tasks. Again, all that happens there is this good worker gets better because they're given more and more of this stretch and challenge. And the weaker members of the team stay weaker. So if you reward excellence by giving more work that is higher grade work, you're actually not seeing equal opportunity within the team and you're not creating a developed talent across the whole team. You're simply selecting those who are good to continue to be good and possibly bypassing those who currently are less good. So you're actually not developing the, the team and you're rewarding the good worker with even more good worker, uh, good work, which will make the gap even wider. So tip number eight, beware favoritism um, and, and avoiding equal opportunity. Tip number nine. The cheapest and very often the most effective way of rewarding any good worker is simply to say, thank you. I appreciate what you're doing. That's brilliant. Well done. So just verbal acknowledgement, appreciation and thank yous may go a long way to giving the recognition and reward that people feel they deserve. People like to be and feel valued. They like appreciation. They like recognition. I think as a minimum, any good worker should receive that on a regular basis. And tip number 10 is to do with an earlier article I've produced for FE News, which is about avoiding exploitation. If you're interested in this, have a look at my article in FE News, which is about the psychological contract that people have with their work. In this particular podcast, the reference is about exploiting the workforce. If you have a really competent, a really excellent member of staff, somebody who is your go-to reliable person, there is the danger that you overload them. And as a result, from moving to feeling appreciated, they will move to feeling exploited. So be careful not to over-demand excellence from one of your better workers. Beware exploiting the excellent. <clears throat> so that's it for today. Can I quickly recap the top 10 tips? One, beware of workers that give excellent performance at the expense of budget, opportunity to do other work and setting a higher bar of expectation for the customer. Tip number two, manage your perfectionists. Tip number three, understand that reducing the performance requirements of high caliber workers will have an effect on their morale. Tip number four, ask people what reward they would like. Tip number five, don't see promotion as a reward. Tip number six, be careful about stretch and challenge. For some staff or students, this may feel like intimidation and bullying. 
Tip number seven. If you're going to reward people through pay, what impact might this have on other colleagues? Tip number eight. Beware favoritism by favoring high quality workers with particularly challenging tasks. It just makes the good get better and the weaker stay weak. Tip number nine. Genuine thanks, praise and acknowledgement and appreciation may be all that's required. And tip number 10, beware over using the work and calibre of some staff so that they move from being high quality performers to exploited performers. So that's it. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe. You will still get the podcast for free, but you will also get an alert to let you know when the next podcast is available. And please recommend the podcast to anyone else you think might like it and benefit from it. Also, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review and any other comment, because they'll help promote the podcast series on the relevant platform. So, bye for now.